we do run to you, Lord, when maybe when we don't know where else to go. Or, Father, when we are paralyzed with fear or shame or anxiety, Lord, and we can't put one foot in front of the other, Lord, Lord, give us the strength to run. Father, and the comfort and the assurance to know that we don't need to run far at all to make it to you. Lord, that as we run to you, you run to us. You embrace us. You comfort us, Lord. You love us. Lord, to experience your mercy, to experience your grace. Lord, may we, may we experience those things in the community that you have given us here. Lord, and in the comfort of your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm have a seat. It's good to see you. Uh, good to see you all this morning. We're going to be continuing in our series on prayer. Um, thank you, Mr. Staley. Uh, going to be continuing in our series on prayer. And so, um, you know, I, I would say if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the past two messages, you can go back either on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, or on our app. You can also get them on the website and, um, and pick up some of those messages. Um, that would be great. Actually, wait, I have to do announcements, don't I? two announcements this week. <laughs> there is youth group tonight. Okay, so if you are a youth group or you have a youth in your home um, or next door or something like that, you can uh, make sure that they're here tonight for youth group. And if you have any questions about that, you can see Amanda right there. Um, and then also this coming this is going to be a change for, for us, okay? So this coming Saturday, not Friday, we usually do worship nights on Friday nights, but this coming week we're doing it on Saturday night. So one week from yesterday, we have a worship, I believe it's the 27th, is it? The 27th. Um, worship night here at Conduit, 7 p.m., always, um, always an awesome time in worship, so please plan to join us next Saturday at 7 p.m. for worship. So, youth group, worship night, announcements, done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, settle our hearts before you. Lord, even if we come into this place this morning with minds and hearts that are chaotic, um, stressed, angry, confused, lonely, Lord, wherever wherever, whatever the reality is, Lord, of our lives. Father, we don't hide that before you, and we don't even hide it before each other. Lord, because we trust that your mercy, we trust that your grace, we trust that the love that is held in this community here, Lord, is, is a safe place for all of the reality of life. And so we just bring it with us this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you would minister to us um, through one another and through your word as uh, we press further into this, um, this discipline of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And indeed, prayer is a discipline, right? It is something that must be developed over a period of time and that doesn't necessarily come um, naturally in our lives. Um, we, we talked last week out of Matthew chapter 6 where... Jesus began to teach his disciples about how to pray. And essentially what he said was that there's really no, uh, there's only one wrong way to pray. You know, we maybe often will we'll come with this idea that there's, oh, there's no wrong way to pray. You can't pray wrong. Well, what, what Jesus says is actually there is a wrong way to pray and people are doing it, so let's talk about it. Jesus says so that we can pray as a, as, um, as a hypocrite, right, which, which in his context was that they, they prayed 
Uh, they were praying in a public realm so that other people would look at them and essentially say, like, wow, they're, they're so righteous or they're, they're so spiritual or they must be so close to God and about how, how prayer in its most pure sense is between not, um, I don't pray so that others can hear me, right? I pray so that God hears me. And even when I'm praying for someone else or praying with someone else, I'm not praying for the benefit of their ears. I'm praying for the, um, so, that the, so that, the Lord, that the Lord hears me. Right? And, that, and that our prayer right, is, not, is not more effective when I use big fancy words. Right? Or when I say it in the right order. Or when I, when I understand the correct prayer formula and then get it all right. Because isn't that, isn't that so often what we, when, we, when we're coming to a, a place of prayer, what can be an obstacle for us, right? Is either, either the enemy has tried to speak this into your life, right? Or, or you feel it for a variety of reasons, but well, I don't know what to say. I want to pray, and I want to pray a lot, but I, I sit down to pray, or I take out my... Bible, and I want to pray, but I just don't know what to say. And so I, I end up not saying anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing or in the wrong way, you know. And what, what Jesus says is like, it's pagans that believe that they must have the right words or the complex words or a structure to their prayer that somehow um, breaks or surpasses the spiritual divide between us and God, right? So I gotta know what to say in the right ways, other or or my, my prayers are not gonna be heard and my prayers are not gonna be effective. And what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six is like, look, there's no formula to prayer that that means that you have to say like the right, you know, like we often think of it like the King James English types of prayers, right? Make sure you get your thines and your thous and your these in the right order. Otherwise Jesus isn't going to hear you, right? The prayer isn't going to work. A certain kind of structure of words that breaks this spiritual divide between you and the Father. But what we're going to learn, and listen, this is going to be the sermon for not this week, but next week, is that, is that it's not the words that breaks the spiritual divide between us and the Father. It's Jesus himself. Scripture tells us that, that, that Jesus right, went to the cross, bridged the gap between us and the Father so that, so that now we, like it says in Hebrews chapter 6, may approach the throne of God with confidence being fully sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That, that it is Jesus right, who who takes the spiritual divide between sinful man and holy God and compresses it all down into one moment, which is the cross. And so when we pray, when we pray in the Spirit and the name of Jesus, we are... We are um, we are calling on the authority given to us through Jesus to approach the Father. And so, and so the, the formula for effective prayer in that regard is to pray in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. So next week we're going to talk all about the name of Jesus in prayer. Uh, which is the which is the thing that gives us access to the Father? Jesus gives us access to the Father through prayer. Without Jesus, prayer is impossible. The second thing I want to say in prayer, as kind of a, a recap from last week, is is this. Um, is that as we, as we, as you are learning to pray, are, are like working to pray more, be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. I think our, the, the standard that we, we hold ourselves to often 
is that we, we need to go from zero to 60 now. Right? If, if, if I've not developed a discipline of prayer in my life before, but now the Holy Spirit is moving upon my heart and I'm sensing this like, yeah, He's calling me into prayer and I'm praying that God would give me a passion for prayer and I'm, I'm wanting to pray more. So that means now I have to go from praying zero times a day to, to I don't know, three hours a day. And then we wonder why we're like, man, this prayer thing is hard. This is really, this is really difficult. right? Well, yeah, when you go from praying two minutes a day to holding yourself to a standard of praying two hours a day, it's going to be difficult. And so when we talk about prayer as a, as a discipline, we, we actually mean that, all right? It'd be like, it'd be like me saying, okay, um, I want to become a um, marathon distance runner. Okay? I want to be a marathon distance runner. And so I have to train for that, Okay. So I guess that means that, well, I don't know, 11.30 or so when we get out of church, I'm going to go run 26.2 miles, right? And if I don't cross the finish line in a certain amount of time, I'm going to say, man, this is too hard. I can't do this. Man, I, I'm, really just, I'm really just not athletic, right? I'm just not a good runner, or it'll never work for me, or I can't do it, right? And we understand that when we go into physical training, we, it's necessary to take steps to get to the ultimate goal, right? We, we taper up into marathon speed and marathon distance, right? But somehow, we think it differently when we come to a thing like prayer where, no, we, we can't taper up into it. We have to do, we have to do like Jesus-style and intensity prayer right from the get-go. And if we don't, man, I'm just, I'm a bad Christian, I just must not know how to do this thing. I, I, and listen, be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Because you know what? Jesus is gentle with you. And, and I, I, I wouldn't even say this. Like God is not angry with you when you don't pray. God is not mad at you if you don't pray. Like, oh man, I'm just, I'm sinning so much. I didn't, I didn't pray today. I, 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 don't, I don't believe, and I, I don't believe that Scripture communicates anywhere, and I, I've never got this sense from the Holy Spirit that a, that a um, lack of prayer, right, is, um, is sinful. Or that I am that I'm offending the holiness of God or breaking the holiness of God or breaking the law of God by not pursuing in prayer. Does that mean I don't have to worry about it? Well, no, that's not what I would say, but often we, we, we take upon ourselves this mantle of sinfulness and dirtiness when we don't pray enough. And, and that's not from the Lord. That's not from the Lord. That's from the enemy. When we, when we fail to pray, we, we're not sinning. But what we're doing is we're, we're forfeiting. We're, we're willfully forfeiting something that God wants to do in us and something that God wants to give to us. Okay. So, so understand that a failure to, to pray is not sinful, but it is a forfeiture of what God wants to do, what God wants to say, what God wants to be in your life and heart. So, what I want to talk about today really is not, um, I want to talk about, I want to play off this idea that there's no formula to prayer. Meaning like a certain style of words or structure that you like have to bring to your prayers in order for God to hear them or for them to be more effective. Um, no formula to prayer. Um, but what I, what I do want to talk about is that like, the Scripture is, is really clear throughout that while there is not a formula to like, the right prayer, there are multiple factors 
that bring increased effectiveness to our prayer lives. There's not a formula, but there are factors that bring um, an increased effectiveness to our lives. So I'm going to talk about three factors this morning that can take our praying um, to the next level. Okay? The first factor is this. What is the first thing that will take my prayer uh, praying to the next level? Number one is um, persistence. Persistence in prayer will take it to the next level. Now, uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 18, the Gospel of Luke. We have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, there's lots of Bibles on your phones, right? There's one that's linked in, in our Conduit Ministries app. We'll also have it up here on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible, but you would like a Bible, one like your very own Bible, um, like you, all, you, all you have to do is let me know, let Jessica know, Amanda know, Ellen know, any of our staff, let the guy at the coffee bar know, like, hey, do you have any extra Bibles that I could have? Like, yeah, we have, we would love to give you a Bible. Um, so Luke chapter 18, um, what's interesting about this particular um, little section here is that there, there are only a few cases within the Gospels where, where either Jesus or the author of the Gospel comes right out and says, this is what the parable means. A lot of times, they just leave it for like interpretation. Like, they'll just tell a parable, and like you got to kind of figure out the application about it. Right? In this instance, Luke, who is a very, very detailed writer, right? He's, we know that Luke was educated. He was, probably had Greek backgrounds, right? So he wrote in a very like sophisticated manner. Luke, straight out, is like, um, this is why Jesus tells this parable. This is the lesson. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I mean, we would just leave it there, honestly. Like, that, I mean, that's all you really need to know, okay? Jesus told his disciples a parable that they should always pray and not give up. Good enough. Okay? Um, but I want to bring up a few more points to this, okay? Number one is, like we talked about last week with understanding context, but not taking it so literally that we lose the application for what is being said, um, I want you to, it's, it's the same here, okay? Understand that a parable is not a literal story, okay? It's a, it's a fabricated story that people used in order to communicate or articulate deeper, sometimes philosophical, but in this case, spiritual principles. Meaning that like, not every detail is to be transplanted into a context that we understand. So often, like we come to a parable like this and be like, well, why is Jesus depicting God as some reluctant judge or giver? He's not. Okay? What he's, what, he's, what, he's, what he's highlighting here is not the role of the person and the role of the judge, the role of the widow and the role of the one that's giving. What Jesus is highlighting here is the persistence of the person who asks. And we know that based off of Luke's commentary on it. Because he says, hey, Jesus told them a parable, and the point of the parable was to highlight the persistence of one who always prays and never gives up. So context is important, and it's important for us to not, we always take, we always say things in church, well, like, I believe every word of the Bible from the beginning to the end, it's 100% true, and my response to that is I agree 100% within the context of, like, within the context of its own structure, right? 
Because if you were to say to me, well, do you believe that there was really a persistent widow? Well, I mean, I guess there could have been, but like Jesus wasn't trying to say, I knew this one widow one time and I saw her praying, right? No, he's, just, he's making up, he's telling a story to communicate a point, okay? Enough about that. So Jesus, or the, the writer uh, Luke here, did not hide the lesson of the parable that we are to always pray and not give up. Let's read the parable here. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice over my adversary. And for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't uh, eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice in quickly. Um, there's this important point here where where Jesus describes like the, the like the kind of the nature of persistence. What is the nature of persistence? The nature of persistence here in this example is a continual asking or a continual request or an all or, or like always praying and not giving up in the hours that you're awake throughout the day. That's not really what Jesus, what the parable says, right? The, the parable indicates that, that persistence is, is prayer that occurs during the day and during the night, right? So it's like this steady stream of prayer that doesn't have as its, like, as its pattern um, a, I'm going to pray for three minutes every day for this thing. Like, persistence throughout the day is no... Like, the persistence is something that happens continually throughout the day and throughout the night. Persistence um, happens when we literally don't stop praying for something until we get an answer. Or until there is resolve or resolution about a certain thing. It, um, it reminds me a little bit, like the point that um, persistence is trying to make here, it reminds me a little bit of like when you are worried that your pipes are going to freeze and the flow of water will stop. What do you do? Like one of the, like the easiest ways to, to make sure that you, your pipe doesn't freeze is you just like, you open, you just let it drip just a little bit, right? Just a little stream of water, right? A constant stream of water, even on a small scale, is enough to keep the pathway of water open even in adverse conditions. And, and persistence is about keeping that little faucet open even if it's just a small stream or a small drip, so that the persistence pathway of prayer doesn't get frozen up. It doesn't stop. And then you have to go through this whole process again of unstopping the pipe, right? So you can get the water going again. Now, this can be a, this can be a daunting type of factor to prayer because you're like, bro, I need to sleep. Okay? I gotta, like, my life can't be centered around praying for this particular issue. And in some regards, of course, we all understand that we have, we have, like, we're, we're also living life and have jobs to go to or kids to take care of or 
or you know whatever it is that we got going on. Maybe we can't keep the proverbial faucet open 100% of the time. But listen, persistence, persistence in prayer in your life and for the things that are critical and important to you becomes more attainable when we enlist others to pray alongside of us. Because no longer is it just just me that is praying for this thing. Now it is us. And I, I, I dare say that there is a persistence quotient to having people pray in like relative slots throughout the day for a specific thing in your life rather than just getting all together at one moment and praying for 20 minutes and then not praying again. Because what we're doing is we're we're, we're wrangling the power of persistence in the heavenly realm and we're keeping constantly that issue of prayer running through the pipes of heaven, so to speak, so that it doesn't freeze up. It gives us an opportunity to literally pray for something all day and like the word says, all night even. Now this is kind of like a, I don't want to say it's a radical idea, but it's not an idea that we really utilize or something that we, we, we leverage too often in the church, right? And like I know a couple guys um, that I train jiu-jitsu with and a couple guys that, that go to church here that work the overnight shift, right? And so when I'm sleeping, they're awake. And um, I just wonder what it would be like. It would be like, hey, man, you know, um, I'm really like trying to persist in prayer in this particular thing. Uh, would you, I, and I've got like several people like committed to, like he's going to pray for me at 1 o'clock and they're going to pray for me at like at, at 2 o'clock and they're going to pray for me at like 3 o'clock and I've just, this is so important to me, I've just kind of tried to line up these people to just like commit to pray for me and like set an alarm on your phone, pray for Cameron or whatever, would you be willing to, since you're up plowing snow at two in the morning, would you be willing to pray for me at that, at that time? Since you're, since you're you, you get up at four in the morning to go to work, would you like, would you set an alarm on your phone to pray for me at 4 a.m.? Like I'm just trying to find people to pray for me like on the hour, every hour, all day, every day, because, because I know that a major factor in the effectiveness of prayer is the persistence that comes with praying all day, all night, keeping the faucet open, not letting it freeze up, drip, 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 drip. Is there anything more annoying than a constantly dripping faucet, right? And like, at some point you're like, alright, I'm fixing this freaking faucet because I ain't listening to it drip anymore. Right, And that's essentially what Jesus is saying here is that persistence brings out this like, will someone answer that prayer please? So, like, I mean, the, the, the question that I pose to you, and this is kind of a loaded question because you all know, like, the direction that we're moving the direction that we're trying to create, the culture that we're trying to create here at Conduit of everyone being connected to a small group of people. Everyone being in a small group. Like, my question is, is like, do you have a group of people that you can call on or count on to pray for you at all times of the night? Now, I know that they may do so a little begrudgingly, but if I... If I called my small group or sent out a text to my small group and said, would you all be willing to take a portion of time, even if it was through the middle of the night, to pray for me, pray for Sherry, pray for our family, pray for this, pray for that. It's really important to me, whatever. I know that I could get all those slots filled. And I know that I could do all that without asking them because I know that I would do it for them. And so the, the question is, 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 do you have those people? 
Do you have those people that you can count on or call on in a moment where you need to persist in prayer about this issue? Here's the reason why it helps. Like, okay, so like three reasons why, why, about persistence. Why is persistence so hard? Why do we give up when we pray? Right? Because persi- like giving up is the, is the opposite of persisting in prayer, right? Instead of just keeping going and going and going and going and going and going and going, I give up. Why do we give up? Why do we have things in our lives that are really, 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 really important to us? And we pray for them for a little bit, but then we give up. We're like, I'm going to pray for this thing until God answers. I'm going to pray for this thing until God answers. I'm going to pray for this thing until God answers. But then somewhere down the line, we stop. We don't persist. How, why? Why does that happen? Is there something wrong with you? No. Right? There's something wrong with all of us? Well, no. I mean, there, there are reasons that we stop, right? Number one reason that we stop, or one reason why we stop, we don't persist in prayer, is that we lose focus. Right? We, 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 are, we, we lose our heart and our passion for that thing. We, we take our eyes off of it. We get, um, we get focused on other things, right? And, and we, we are no longer reminded of how important it was that we pray for that. For instance, if you have having difficulty in your marriage, right? And you are really like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, like pray about this and pray 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 until God fixes it, right? Until something is something changes, right? And so we persist and we persist and we persist and we persist. And then you have a nice you have a good weekend at home or something like that, right? And you lose focus on the foundational issues undergirding your marriage that made you want to pray for it, right? And your persistence ends because your focus has been shifted, right? Classic tool of the enemy is to give you something good to distract you from something great. Okay? And so he gives you a good weekend in your marriage. And so you're like, you lose focus on praying for the greatness of your marriage that God actually desires for you. We lose focus. Another reason that we often give up is that we don't see results quickly enough. Right? We are a microwave culture. We are a cell phone culture. Right? We are an instant gratification right now. If it takes me more than five minutes or two minutes of prayer per day for a week, then no, this doesn't work. Right? We, we don't see results quickly enough. We would... We would be much better served in our prayer to ask God to give us a long-term perspective, a long-term vision for how the things that we are praying for now are not going to just change our circumstances in the present, but how they changing the trajectory of our whole lives. Changing the trajectory of our children's lives of the people around us, around, around their lives. So if you, if you use the marriage example, right? We, we, want God to, we want God to change the circumstances so we can stand to be around our spouse this weekend, right? And so, and so that's the result that we're focused on. Well, 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 what if God wants you to persist in prayer because He's not really concerned so much how the weekend is going, but He wants to ensure that your children are constantly see and are bathed in a marriage that is godly and God-honoring so that their children and their children after them create legacies of faithfulness to each other and to the Lord. Like, maybe, maybe God wants you to persist in prayer because He's trying to build a legacy. You're just trying to escape an annoyance. So you change... You change your understanding of how result or the timetable how, of, when, of when results come, right? And we persist longer. Number three, uh, the third reason that we give up is that we don't think our prayers matter. Well, God has obviously already decided what He's going to do, 
right? I don't know why I'm praying for this. It just must not be God's will for this thing to work. Right? Now, I've, prayed about, I've, I've talked about this several times. This could be a whole stinking sermon all on its own. Um, I already feel like I'm ramping up to my time for this morning. So, um, <laughs> But, like, listen... Hear me, okay? When we stop praying because we say, well, it just must not be God's will, he's obviously already like made up his mind, right? Um, you know, there are aspects of God's will that are not fixed like we think of them as being. Like that God wrote a book about your whole life, every detail, right? And every time you pray for Him to do something, He flips to the page in the book of the day that you're on to make sure that it lines up with the story that He's already pre-written for you. And if it doesn't, He's like, oh, sorry, that's not in my will for your life, so you're just going to be wasting your time praying for that because I've already decided everything that's going to happen just like that. Listen. There are so many times within Scripture where we see men and women of God pray persistently and fervently in the face of a decision that God has apparently already made to implore Him to make another decision, and He does. He does this in the life of Noah. When God's like, nope, they're all gone. I'm, I'm wiping out the entire world. And Noah's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we talk about this? How about we build a boat instead? We'll bring two of everything and my family. And like, can we do that instead? Or, um, or when God wants to, um, uh, when, when Moses is up on, on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and all the Israelites are down below and they're like making the golden calf and worshiping everything, or like worshiping a false idol, and, and God is like, I'm going to go down there and destroy them all. And Moses is like, Lord, would you instead show your mercy? Would you, would you spare them, Lord, in your grace? He, he almost borders on being like, well, that doesn't sound like you, God. It's, it's like, it's this, it's this weird dynamic of Moses talking God out of destroying the Israelites for their idolatry. And we're left with this question of like, well, what really is God's will? What does that mean? And what really does prayer do in the face of the will of God? And I don't have a perfectly succinct, theological, spiritual point to it in the Bible type of answer, but I have got to believe, right, based on what we see in Scripture, what we know about the character and nature of God, is that God allows His self to be affected by our prayers. That God loves us so much, cares for us so much, that he doesn't stand in a place of being unmoved when his children earnestly and persistently call on his name for something. Because it is the heart of someone who loves someone else that allows their emotions to be moved when there is persistent when there's prayer, right? I can make a decision about, about something that my, my children do, right? Or my children don't do. And then, and like, like saying it like kind of in a more funny way, like when my little four-year-old Olive, right, who's just this like little sweet potato, right? I mean like, 
She's like just horrible, but perfect in every way at the same time. Um, right? And she, and she I, I've decided, nope, like th- this is my decision and that's the end of it, right? And then she comes to me, right? And I love her and I would give my life for her and I want what's best for her. But I've already made my decision. Right? And I have to stay consistent because that's what everyone tells parents they have to be. You just got to stay, stay consistent. Right? Or we can allow ourselves to be changed and moved by the people that we love when they earnestly communicate their heart to us. Right? And why would we think of God any differently? Why, why would we think that God is any different than that? that? That maybe, yes, He has determined that this is what's going to happen, and yes, I'm going to do this. And then, and then those that He love, loves come to Him and say, Lord, this is our heart. This is our desire. This is what we want. This is what we need. God, please, we're, would You move in this way? Your prayers do matter. Of course they matter. And if God's heart was not moved in one direction or the other, then yeah, they wouldn't matter at all, right? But we're implored time and time and time again to pray. To pray persistently, to pray fervently, to pray, to pray boldly because our prayers matter. Number two. The second factor, first we have persistence. The second factor is fervency. We must pray persistently. We must pray fervently. Fervency is having or displaying passionate intensity. To pray uh, fervently is to pray passionately or intensely. Now, understand that not every prayer calls for a fervent attitude, right? When I, when I sit down and, and we pray for our meal as a family, right, it doesn't mean that, like, I gotta get in this, like, passionate intensity about how thankful I am for the meatloaf. Okay, nothing wrong with it. Okay, but understand that like it's not a it's not a necessary factor in every prayer. But what? <laughs> but here's here's the caveat. Okay, here's the caveat. While it's not a necessary factor to every prayer, if you're more likely to fall asleep while you're praying than you are to encounter the Holy Spirit, then you're lacking some fervency in your life. Okay? If you're more likely to fall asleep than encounter the Holy Spirit, then, then we, need to, we need to add the ingredient of fervency into our lives. I, I believe that um, the reason that we often lack fervency in our prayers, so I'm going to be really honest with you, the reason that we lack fervency in our prayers is because that we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to be passionate about something. We're embarrassed to be intense. We're, we, are, we are embarrassed to get to an emotional state that shows how passionate and intense we can be about a certain thing. We lack fervency because we wonder what other people will think of us if they see us in a state of passionate intensity. That is why we lack fervency. It's because we, we, we do not want to truly open our hearts, open our emotions, open our minds to the Lord, and so we remain subdued. It's not because you're not passionate or intense about things. 
It's, it's that you've been told to keep it calm, to keep it respectful, to keep it honoring, to keep it quiet, right? But time and time and time and time again, the Lord honors prayers that are, that are prayed in highly intense, passionate, fervent environments. Uh, two, two examples would be um, James chapter 5, right? Verses 13 to 16, where James, uh, the brother of John, or the brother of Jesus, is talking about um, the role of the church in prayer. And um, although we usually read out of the NIV here, I actually prefer the King James Version of this. It's just usually the version that most people um, most people come to memorize if they memorize this first. The 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 um, the, the passionate, fervent prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. The NIV dumbs it down a little bit. Um, they just do. And uh, they say, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The Greek there doesn't just talk about prayer. It talks about the intensity of of the prayer that is given. The fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous person is powerful. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, as, um, as Peter is put into prison, Peter was put into prison for preaching the gospel. And the church went on this absolute like tear of intense, fervent, passionate, persistent prayer. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly, fervently praying to God before him. And then what do you know? <laughs> like, angel shows up, doors swing open, chains break off, and the effect of fervent prayer was Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Now again, I will say, I'm going to say this, is that we are in the church, right? Especially in, not, not so much in churches in like, um, in the southern hemisphere or in um, less developed countries where Christianity has not been so like, modernized and become so comfortable in like temperature controlled rooms and everything like they have no pro listen i love the air conditioning too okay um but like but listen um the reason that we're not fervent right is because we're embarrassed to be to be seen as intensely passionate about something um but but listen i am willing I am willing in moments that demand fervency to allow myself to be embarrassed before you and the Lord if you are willing to pursue with me an attitude of fervent prayer when fervency is needed. I will become embarrassed before you and before the Lord until, until fervency is no longer embarrassing but it becomes the norm for the way that we approach the throne when something is needing passionate intensity. And we say, well, what does fervency look like? Well, fervency looks like exactly what you think it looks like because there are things that you are fervent about in life. There are things that you are passionately intense about. There are things that you get really excited about and you yell and you scream and you hoop and you holler or you cry or you yell or you get angry and you, 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 you seek to address the issue, right? You just don't think that you can do that in prayer because you've been taught that that's not proper for a God-honoring you know, you know, God man or woman to get that excited in the midst of something or get that upset in the midst of something. But listen, what are the factors of fervency? How would you be able to tell if, something, if someone was highly... Um, intense or passionate about some about something. 
how would you be able to tell? Well, how about, number one, how about volume? Right? When you're highly intense or passionate about something, are you quiet? Not usually. Right? So, so, so ver- fervency has some, has some factors in volume, first off, right? How about posture? Your actual physical posture. Right? When you are highly passionate or intense about... Ever been to a Bills game? <laughs> Enough said, right? You get it. How about clarity? When you are highly passionate about something, when you are fervent about something, like, good luck getting, getting like, a, a, a change in, fo- you're very clear, right? Like, like a bulldog. Intense, fervent, not going to be moved, not going to forget about it. Like, fervency, volume, posture, clarity, focus. Like, just hitting the nail, hitting the nail, hitting the nail, hitting the nail. We must be persistent. We must be fervent. Number three, third factor. Persistence, fervency, third factor is boldness. We must be bold. Um, usually boldness comes about in the measure of the thing that we ask for. Right? And listen, we, as a praying people, we must, we must reject any theology or any belief about God that paints Him as a reluctant giver. That paints him in the light of being like, ugh. Can't they just pray for bread and water? Here you go. Because sometimes that's like, that's how we pray, right? Oh dear Lord, if you see such fit, would you please provide for our family, you know, daily, like, okay, Listen, don't write me emails. I get it. I, you know, like I understand praying like that, okay? I totally, totally, totally get it. But we often pray in such a muted form that, we, that we, we, we never even come close to praying what would be considered a bold prayer, right? Because one, we're like, well, I don't deserve anything like that. I don't, like, and God is so reluctant to give things like that, that that there's no point in me praying big, audacious, bold types of prayer. And, and really what that, what that, what that signifies is, is not what you believe about prayer. It signifies what you believe about God. How you pray in boldness or not boldness signifies what you believe about God. Because we always pray or ask in proportion to the one we're praying or asking to. Like, my kids ask me for things that are like... Like Noah the other day wanted to build out... He's like, we have a second story house. It's a really tall house. He wanted to build out from one of his windows a tunnel. A tunnel that wrapped around the outside of the house, right? And then goes in another window so that his cat would have a place to go. <laughs> now, now he approached me, who he, for whatever reason, sees as the person that can produce and build anything to his wildest dreams and imagination, right? Not taking into any other factor whatsoever, like how this giant tube would look like on the outside of our house, or how much it would cost, or how I would get it up there, or anything like that. The only thing that he knew is like, well, I have this thing that I want to do that's on my heart. 
I know that if I want to get the thing done, the person to go to is my dad because he's got the skills, the gifts, the ability, the resources to get it done. He asked in proportion to the ability of the one that he was asking to. Right? And, and yeah, if you're going to be praying for the benefit of each other so that you pray and Elaine hears or I pray and Bobby hears, then yeah, ask for small, simple things because that's all that we are capable of, right? But when we are praying to the Lord, we are, we are calling on the one who created all things by whom and through whom everything that exists exists, right? If we pray in proportion to the one that we are praying to, there should be no limit to the boldness of our prayers because nothing is impossible with Him. Nothing. There's, there's nothing impossible. And, and the Word says that God, God delights to give good things to His children who ask Him. Luke chapter 11. Starting at verse 5. Then, this is, this is Luke's account of when Jesus is teaching His disciples the Lord's Prayer, okay? Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Imagine this, okay? It's in the middle of the night. You get a knock on your door. You're like, it's three in the morning. You're like, ah, what is going on? Like, you, you know, you're, it's in western New York, so you grab your shotgun, right? And you walk out there, like, and you open the door, and it's me. And you're like, oh, what's going on? Uh, yeah, I had someone stop into town and was wondering, sorry to bother you in the middle of the night, but do you have any bread? Um, can I borrow some bread? Like, need a cup of sugar? Um, need to prepare a meal for them? And you're like, bro, it's the middle of the night. But, but what does that indicate about, like, the request? Urgency. Importance. Like, it's important to me, Right? Then one of the insiders answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed with me. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not give up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Like, man, you are so bold. You are like, I can't believe the guts that it took you to wake me up in the middle of the night to ask because you are so bold. Yes, here. Take it all, just leave me alone. So I say to you, verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. There's no, there's no like insightful translation of that that indicates, oh, but we only ask for things according to God's will because he's already decided and so um, just don't ask for him anything, right? No, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. Him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It is in the boldness of the request that the Father who loves the child asking responds. Now, Noah's still not getting his tube outside of his room, but. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek will find. And those who knock, the door will be opened. 
When we pray to the one that has the power to do it all, boldness is our language. What are the factors that may be missing in our prayer? Persistence. Always praying, not giving up. Fervency. Having or displaying passionate intensity and boldness. Rejecting any theology about God that paints Him as a reluctant giver of small gifts only and not the miraculous things that our hearts request. Um, Welcome the worship team back up this morning. And as they, um, as they come back up, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer here. Um, first, just in a, like, uh, I would say, I, I want to say silence, but it's not really silence, right? Because we, when, we, when we pray and we have moments of silence, the silence is just from our end, right? That we're... We're shutting our mouths for a moment, so we're not listening to what we are saying, but we can be attentive and listening to what the Spirit may be speaking either into our hearts or into our ears. Um, And then allowing the Spirit's movement on our lives to guide where we pray in persistence and boldness and fervency. Um, So if you would... For just a moment, um, let's have a little time of prayer, and we'll be asking Holy Spirit for you to guide us in prayer, to reveal the places in prayer that we will go or need to go. Father, you hear us because you love us. And in the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, we pray that boldness would become our language of prayer. That, Lord, you would move us in fervency in passionate intensity, Lord. Not not to be chaotic, Lord, or to be out of control, Lord, but that our hearts would be moved with passionate intensity, free from embarrassment or shame, Lord, that that we would truly open our emotions and our hearts and our minds in fervency, Lord, to pray in such a way that we cannot be ignored. (laughs) 
Lord, to have a pattern of persistence in our prayer. Lord, so that the slow drip of prayer over a long period of time creates a whole pool full of prayer. And Father, would you help us to see how and to know how, Lord, to be organized as a church around prayer. Not, not it just being something that we talk about in a sermon series or do on a Tuesday night or, Lord, but that you would give us a, a bigger vision for prayer here. A bigger vision for um, bold things. A freedom of fervency. A commitment to persistence. Lord, we pray your your grace on these moments as we sit, as we wait upon you, as we seek you above all other things, as we desire you about, above, above all other things. Lord, we desire righteousness through Jesus. Lord, Jesus says in, in, in Luke 11, we just read it, Lord, that, that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, Lord. And so we pray, Father, and ask now in, in boldness and in fervency, Lord, in full expectation, Father, that your, that your word will be proved true in our lives, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Or that your Holy Spirit would would, would, would move within our midst, Lord. Would push us into places with you that we have never been before, Lord. Would reveal a level of your glory, Father, that, that literally transfigures <laughs> our appearance here. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We submit our lives. We submit our hearts to you, Lord. We surrender. We surrender our fear. We surrender our guilt and shame, Lord. Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.